Will Burrell is 14 years old. He's an untextbook producer who lives in Massachusetts, just down the street from his grandparents. And so every Sunday night, I usually go down and spend the night at their place. And after we eat dinner, I go into my granddad's office with him and we either do math or we talk about the American government and history. Will's grandpa grew up steeped in the mythology of the USA as an undefeatable force for good, the world's savior from communism. But then he became an army ranger and went to Vietnam, where he found a different reality. He said that from being able to interact with the people that he thought that he was going in there to defend and their perspective of America being quite different than his changed his perspective on how America was as a country that intervenes in other countries' business. Will's grandfather returned home with a more nuanced perspective on American influence. One of his favorite endings to our meetings is, may you live in interesting times. And so he's, he's tried to get me to understand that I am living in a very interesting time. And he feels that by learning about the times that he lived in and the times that his father lived in um, and his father before that, I can learn more about today. 30-some years ago, the historian Paul Kennedy wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of the Great Powers. In the book, he looks at the ways in which nations grow and grow and grow and then overreach and then ultimately fail. His conclusion was controversial in academia, That's because he suggested that the USA is not an unstoppable supernatural force, but instead a country bound by the same laws of physics as any other nation. His critics called him a declinist, saying that he was unnecessarily predicting doom and gloom for America. In the three decades since the book came out, Paul Kennedy has continued to refine his understanding of how nations expand and contract. He now thinks a lot about the so-called soft power, the non-military influence that America exports to the world our culture, our style of diplomacy, our education system, and mostly, our reputation. After the break, Will Burrell interviews Paul Kennedy about the ever-shrinking ability of the United States to achieve its goals on the world stage. I'm Gabe Hostin, and this is Untextbooked. Untextbooked. Professor Kennedy, would you consider the USA to be a great power in decline? The key word here is relative decline. Yes, the United States is in relative decline if it's relative to where it was 40 years ago. In asking that question, given the state of the world today, has our ability to influence receded from 40 years ago? All right, this is a central and great area for us uh, us to kind of gently tease apart your remarks and your question. Because it seems to me, Will, that you touched upon three strands of how to assess power or influence to affect things in the world. One way of measuring our absolute power and our relative power is in defense terms. It's in hard power. What I try to do in Horizon Fall of a Great Past 
was to say that there was a second strand, productive power and economic power. Then one of the major criticisms of the book is exactly where you have gone to. What about measuring power in terms of your influence upon others and the capacity to get things done in a world in which we're concerned about how we as a nation project ourselves, which we're concerned about the social fabric, large-scale population shifts, uh, environmental damage. So because of this line of thinking, there was a criticism of the rise and fall of great powers, especially by the Harvard political scientist Joseph Nye. And Nye invents the term soft power. And he says, what about America's soft power in the world? Which is whether we can work in this world to get things done and to get other people to do things for us. You might say, well, you know, back then, the American message and dream and sense of America helping everybody was so fantastically well-received that you could go to certain parks outside Tokyo and see their named John F. Kennedy Park. Or you could go, like I did when I was a student many years ago, to West Berlin And you could see the bridge across the river was called the John F. Kennedy Bridge. So how well are we doing today in those measures, compared maybe with 40 years ago? And there, Will, you might come again to have a more critical view of how America is doing. So you would say rather cynically, Will, is it likely that in today's world you would go to foreign countries and find that the people or the the politicians or the governments there have created a Donald Trump park, and you would smile or laugh at the image of that. So maybe even in soft power, we are come down relatively. So you you talk a lot of about overextension as a uh, means of a country falling from great power status in your book, like military overextension or economic overextension. But do you think, would you say that there is a kind of dip- diplomatic overextension? Well, this is a good question. It's clear that uh, Mr. Putin's Russia tried to interfere too much in the independent Baltic states like Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. And the result has been to drive those states further away from Russia and to the West. So there's a message for us in this, Will, I think, as we try to develop our our diplomatic efforts to help foreign countries. If we develop a good neighbor policy towards Mexico and Brazil and Venezuela, what would that consist of? How pushy should we be? How big or little should our offers of help be? Maybe we should be gently cautious and encouraging rather than trying to do everything to everybody else. Would you say that in the past several decades, the U.S. has had instances of diplomatic overextension? Yes, I think you could say that. The thing which jumps out at you and me is the uh, attempt to 
control militarily what was going on in Southeast Asia in an internal civil war between communist and non-communist forces, which you know became the long-standing Vietnam War. Um, I often think, if you will allow me, a, a bit of a discourse about the Roman Empire. Why, why was the Roman Empire, why did it last for 400 years or 450 years? And when you try to look at that story of the Roman Empire, of course it's because it was better organized than any other army. So even if it was a revolt in Spain or France, you could send two legions and destroy it. But the other thing which is worth thinking about, Will, is that, you know, the Romans were in a very fortunate geopolitical position. The Roman general could go out and say, wow, south of us, there's like 2,000 miles of desert. And then to the west of us, when he goes over to southern Spain, to Gibraltar, the same Roman general might say, wow, there's that thing called the Atlantic Ocean. We're just, we're just not going there and nobody else is. So the south is safe and the west is safe. And to the east of us, there's this giant Persian empire. And we leave it alone and it leaves us alone. And that's fine. So all we have to think about is don't go into the German forests. <laughs> If you go to the forests, it's likely that the German tribes will ambush you. That sounds like Vietnam, doesn't it? Don't go into the jungles. Don't go into the German forests. And don't go north of the Danube River. So, Will, if you look at what looks like the size of the Roman Empire at its best extent, about 110 AD, you say, wow, those guys were smart. There's a desert to the south, there's the Persians to the east, there's the Atlantic to the west. Don't go into the forests, don't go across the Danube, and you can have a Roman Empire which lasts for 400 years. <laughs> so let's leave the history lesson there. Is there some lesson for the United States here if it wants to stay as like the number one military power? Is it going to, are we going to say, let's not go into the jungles of Asia? Let's be careful about this. Let's be in the areas where we are strong and effective. And then we, we last. It seems to me simple, Will, but I'm just a simple professor at Yale, right? So kind of bring me back to the beginning a little bit. Um, would you personally consider the U.S. to be a power in decline? Let's go back to the three categories. So on the military side, we're really big, but we might be under different sorts of challenge. In the economic side, it's far more complicated. We've lost ground in manufacturing product productivity, which is why Mr. Trump keeps bashing on the idea that we should have more American production of things. Quite a valid point. Then we come to your third element, which is the soft power issue from human rights to global warming, to improving international trade, to better arrangements on migration and immigration. In that respect, 
frankly, in the past three years, we have been simply terrible. And we've kind of weakened ourselves. Just look at the way in which we are regarded by the other democratic nations of the world. A wonderful uh, not-for-profit foundation called the Pew, P-E-W, the Pew Charitable Trust, which puts a lot of money into international affairs and international organization, has for many years, Will, conducted a public opinion survey in something like 31 countries across the world. And twice a year, one of these Gallup poll questions is, do you have a more favorable or less favorable view of the United States? And you see that we've gone down really low. So the question for our further debate is, like, is that reversible as well? Like, what would be the set of measures which the United States from next year onwards could take to working with other countries to improve our standing, to improve our image in the world. And it may well be that the Pew measurement in two years' time, if we did certain things positively, could be a lot more favorable than it is now. So there's an instance of where I think there's reversible capacity. That's definitely that's definitely interesting. And if the U.S. was to continue on our trajectory as we are right now with the massive blunders in terms of our soft power, where do you see us in 10, 50, or even the next 100 years if we continue on our trajectory? Uh, I will. Some people would turn around and ask the question, which we haven't asked at all because we've been focused on America and the world, are there any countries in the world which like and admire Mr. Putin's Russia, right? And then there'd be this like long silence because if you think we are unpopular in the world, just look at how unliked Mr. Putin's Russia is. All of the Eastern European countries would say, well, Get that Russian bear, you know, out of here, off my back. So there may be a general lesson here, Will. First of all, don't think only that America has problems or don't think only that America is the world's greatest beacon on the hill or that America's got itself in trouble. Maybe the smart thing is to say, how do we sustain military budget and investments which keep our armed forces relatively capable to carry out what the national interest is? Secondly, how do we improve some of our budget deficits and invest more in science and technology? And then thirdly, how do we use the world organization and international organization and foreign policy soft policies to improve our relative effectiveness in the world? Can we do it better? Can we get back to a John F. Kennedy popularity in the world? And so I think, yes, we could be, Will, in a much 
stronger and more competitive position in the world without being hostile to the world in 20 years' time if we carried out smart policies. That's hard, but it's not impossible. We can do better. The soft power is recoverable. I would just add one more footnote to what I've said, Will. When my book, The Rise and Fall of the Great Powers, came out in its hardback edition, on the back cover of the book, there was a quotation from some final remarks I had made in the last chapter of my book. He says, the chief task facing American leaders in the future, in the longer term, is how to manage cleverly relative decline. So the understanding there is if you do manage cleverly your relative decline, then the position of the United States stays in the world, stays a comfortable one. And what happened at the time was a large number of chiefly conservative critics who didn't want to read a very, very thick book like that with hundreds and hundreds of endnotes. And they looked at the back cover and they said, oh, my God, Professor Kennedy is using the D word. What is the big D word? The D word is like the L word for liberal or the F word, which I'm not going to mention, etc. The, the D word is decline. Don't mention the decline. Otherwise, you get criticized and called a declinist. And if you're a declinist, well, well, you have a bad future ahead of you and you're sending the wrong message. And so the, the message is at the back about smartness is kind of lost. Something of a closing note as we're coming up on our time limit. How would you like young people like myself to use history as a way to protect our future, helping us understand the world and becoming better people who can influence the world? I would think it's, it's, it's a good thing intellectually just to understand history and disputes among historians. One of the things I do sometimes in my junior seminars, Will, is to bring up a whimsical poem called The Six Wise Men and the Elephant. It's an ancient Hindu story about, about these very opinionated intellectuals, all of who had opinions about things, and unfortunately they were blind. And as each of the six men feel a different part of the elephant, they declare, you know, this must be a snake, or this must be a rope, or this must be a wall, or this must be a tree. So why is it when we come to the origins of the U.S. Civil War, why is it that we find that there's this set of historians who say it's all about the state's rights? And another group of historians say it's all about the changing balance of power between the industrializing modern North and the older-fashioned pre-industrial South. 
And another bunch of historians will say it's, it's at the end of the day, it's about race. And when Lincoln declared that he's going to liberate, then that's just, that sets off the irreversible move to war. And others would say it's about personalities here. So looking at historical disputes and debates, we can say, how do we get smarter at asking the right questions? What is the data which count? What if there's this set of arguments one way is a counter argument? And maybe the historian's training will tell us to be a bit more clever or a bit more balanced in looking at what's going on in the world. I would sum my position here by saying, yes, the United States is facing challenges, both in that measure of military power over the longer term, both in our competitiveness economically, and thirdly, in the strand of our soft power, our capacity to get things done. So it's, I come back to this issue, can we smartly, can we intelligently measure this complicated world of ours and influence it in the best way for our interests as well as others? That's quite a challenge. That's your world, you know? That's your future. Thank you for all the questions. Yeah, no problem. It was, it was, it was great to be able to talk to someone as knowledgeable as you are at this subject. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Dr. Paul Kennedy is professor of history at Yale University. He's the author of The Rise and Fall of the Great Powers and many other books. Will Burrell is a high school sophomore in Massachusetts. He's interested in foreign affairs. Our music is by Silas Bowen and Coleman Hamilton, who are a senior and recent graduate of Walnut Hill School for the Arts in Massachusetts. Untextbook is edited by Bethany Denton and Jeff Edman. Fernando Rain is the wind beneath our wings. Our website is untextbook.com. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Untextbook. That's where you'll find stories from the past and present that shouldn't be overlooked. We are already thinking about the future. We have more historians on board, and we have so many more topics we want to explore. We want Untextbook to grow and be as good as it can be, and you can help us do that. Go to untextbook.com and click support. Untextbook is a project of God History, an organization that believes in a world where all young people can advance civic well-being for themselves, society, and the planet.